Hi, and welcome to the Renovate Podcast. My name is Robert Newberry, and I'm on staff here with Renovate, a ministry in Fort Worth, Texas for young adults. This week, Ryan McCarthy will be speaking on the gospel's antidote to toxic emotions. We hope you enjoy. Good evening. My name is Ryan McCarthy. I'm the Soul Care Associate Pastor. It's really look forward to getting to share with you guys tonight. And um, how many of you in here are in any way involved with kids camp? All right, good. So if you don't know this, just a few hours ago, these chairs weren't here and this room is filled with Ewoks, you know, without the hair, just a bunch of little kids. And I actually came in and peeked in here because my 10-year-old son, who's entering fifth grade, it's the first time he's actually volunteering and helping out. So I came in to see what was going on. And as crazy as thinking, like, in a few hours, I'll, you know, this will look very different. And it's, it's exciting to see it. I also, uh, I enjoy kids in, in, in doses. I have three kids. But... Kids are uh, exciting and draining, okay? Um, Amen? (laughs) I have a 10, a 6, and an almost 5-year-old. But I think what's draining about them, there's glorious things, all right? But what's draining is they are sort of like miniaturized adults without a filter on speed. (laughs) And you can see, like, Every emotion just show up unfiltered in a small span of time, and it's, exa- it's exhausting. I, I, uh, have you seen what, Inside Out? Yes. Yeah. Um, okay, if you don't know the premise, like you, 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 the characters in the, in the movie are the emotions that are in this kid's brain. You know, and, 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 uh, joy, fear, disgust, sadness and anger. Yeah, those are the five main characters. And I could think of many instances in which all five of those characters show up in a very compressed amount of time. Uh, for example, a couple of years ago, we were, I was doing errands, giving Brandy, my wife, a badly needed break. So I take the kids on you know, some errands and I pull up to the Frost Bank drive-through to make a deposit or something. I don't remember exactly. How many of you know what, what, what is a kid thinking when they're in the backseat of a car pulling into a bank drive-through? Lollipop. Amen. All right. Lollipop. It's, it's, it's a lollipop at the bank and, and somewhere else. I forgot. But two things. You, lollipops always come at the bank in that little space age tube. And then they open it up. It's like the Jetsons. Okay. So as I'm pulling up to Frost, the kids are immediately like, are we going to get a lollipop? Are we going to get a It's like a full on joyful, fearful anticipation of the possibility of a lollipop. And I'm like, yes, you'll get a lollipop. That's, you know. And so as I hit the button and they say hello, and, 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 and I say, and by the way, I've got three kids here. Oh, okay. It's like code. <laughs> and then as they're waiting, now this was like a 45-second wait, but their excited anticipation turned into a fearful panic. 
Like, what's taking so long? Are they going to remember? Are they? And they're freaking out. Is there going to be a lollipop? And so when the thing finally comes, there are three dum-dums in there. And now it's like, it might as well have been crack. I mean, like, <laughs> like here you go. There's a like, yeah. And they're, they're fighting over which flavor. And they get it. And they are full-on joyful. It's there in heaven. And then Charlie leans over to grab something and knocks Lucy's lollipop out of her mouth. And that joy went immediately to despair and deep depression and darkness. <laughs> and, and then when she put it together, Charlie just caused it. That turned into fury and like, you know, rage. And she was going to kill him if she wasn't too. And I'm getting stressed out with all the noise. So I just reached back and I grabbed the lollipop off the ground, licked the fuzz off and give it back to Lucy. <laughs> and now it's disgust, okay? And this all happened like in two minutes, all because they worshiped the lollipop, right? All that from a lollipop. Now, we, we grow up, and I think we have the same emotions. We've learned to slow it down a little bit, hopefully. If you haven't, you probably got fired, right? You know, the, the copy machine, you know, and you're, you're screaming immediately, like full on rage and then joy, you know. So <laughs> we, we, we kind of have to grow out of that unfiltered emotional expression, but it's still, we still have it. We still attach ourselves to something that we want and feel the feelings of, of fear or anger. And sometimes those emotions, they don't serve us well. They start to turn toxic almost because it seems like the emotion itself seems to be doing damage. And when you get down to it, I, I don't think there's a, we don't talk about this much. I think there's a lot of confusion around the topic of emotions. And, and, uh, and, the, and even if you understand the topic, what do, how do you handle them? What do you do with it? This is going to look different. Almost like the first half is going to be like Emotions 101, like a class. And um, go to this next slide because if you don't try to write everything I'm going to say uh, that's on the screen, just email me. I'll send you my notes. Um, I, like, I like manuscript it and forget about it. and just give, So I'll just send you that, okay? Or it's going to be on the... doesn't matter. Okay. Okay. So next slide, all right? Um, uh, so what I want to do is just cover what emotions are, but then I really want to land more in the scriptures on the tail end, how you handle them. All right, so what are emotions? I would say they are physical sensations that come as a result of what we're thinking and believing about something really important to us, like a circumstance or a relationship. It, it, at, the, at the bottom of this little picture is um, what you love. I mean, it was the lollipop for Lincoln, Charlie, and Lucy. And they thought, oh, the lollipop's not coming. So they had the, the, the expression of it. And, and so that's the way emotions work. We're, we're kind of feeling the physical sensation. And sometimes like, you can have the same physical sensations and it's a different emotion. You can have butterflies in your stomach and sweaty palms and, and, you're, and we say that's nervousness. Yes, it could also be um, anger. It could be guilt. It could be joy. You're about to propose, you know, and you're, you're feeling joy or you lied about where you were last night and you have the same manifestations. So the physical sensations might be similar, but the emotions, they manifest itself. And here's the thing is it gets confusing what exactly you're feeling. So that's just what emotions are. Going a step deeper, they have a purpose. 
God gave us emotions. And one of the main purposes is, is that I think God gave them to us to move us to action. When we, I'm thinking some of those verses up there, Mark 1, 41, Jesus sees the crowd and he's moved, he's moved by pity to, and when he sees the crowds. Without, and like they're like sheep without a shepherd. So his compassion and pity moved him to serve and, and to love these people. Uh, Exodus 32, that's where Moses comes back down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments, and they're all like having a party and orgy and uh, drunkenness around a golden calf, and he gets so angry, he moves him to throw down the tablets. Uh, you just look everywhere. Emotions, even in the word emotion, motion, it, it moves us. It mo- we're moved by emotions, so I put some examples. If you're stressed about demands, fear will move you to get to the office early. If someone throws you under the bus, anger will move you to defend yourself. If you love fine art, like, you know, passion will move you to go to the museum. These are getting lame. If you, <laughs> if you are attracted to somebody, uh, desire will move you to go talk to that person or will cause you to freak out when you do talk to them. The emotions move us. Getting, uh, well, here's another thing. I think God gave us emotions to connect us relationally. Um, Luke 15, 20, that's the, that's the prodigal son. The father sees his son coming back and he's moved to go to his son. And because, and he's connected, he's connected to his son by compassion. So uh, Romans 12, 15 is a great one. By the way, the, the closer the relationship, the bigger the emotions are gonna be sparked. You, that's pretty much always true. Um, that's why you can see something on the news and it doesn't move you that much. But your roommate can not pick up his socks and you're really mad. Okay, it's disproportionate responses because of the closeness of the relationship. <clears throat> uh, Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's connecting emotionally uh, and emotions connect. If, if your friend gets a promotion and you get excited with your friends, you're connecting at that moment. If you get excited about the same things, if your friend's weeping because you know, he's just been dumped or she's been dumped and you're excited, you've just disconnected, right? No, but when you weep with someone who weeps, you, you, you connect. If you, if you get married, uh, just a word of advice, when you come home, and you hear about how hard the day was, or someone said this and it made me really mad, it don't say, well, did you do this, right? That's called fixing, and you just missed an opportunity to, to connect. You, the most sanctified words are, oh, that sucks. Are you serious? You said, what? You know, and get mad with them, right? Say, I mean, that's horrible, are you, are, oh man. It's just connecting. We, when I listen to, uh, I'm gonna be sexist here, but when I listen to girls talking on the phone, it's amazing how they're like, really? No, and it's like, they're connected. All right, let me keep going. Um, it's an important point though. Emotions, I think, given by God to connect us relationally. Thirdly, emotions are essentially, in an essential way, we bear God's image. Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our own image. And God makes us in his image, meaning that there's a likeness. God is emotional, which is a wonderful, beautiful thing to remember. I mean, it is easy to think that if God is sovereign and he's in control, he's up there robotically making decisions, stoic, detached, not worried. 
I will do this. And, oh, and, and just to think he's, no, he gets angry. He gets, he, he, he weeps. You see every member of the Godhead, the, you grieve the Holy Spirit. Jesus wept. Every aspect, God is an emotional God. He makes us in his image. We are supposed to be emotional. And that means emotions are good. It's good to be emotional. I mean, some people pride themselves on not being emotional. Like I'm, I'm rational, I'm not emotional. But that's like saying I'm, I'm proud of being a calculator, you know? <laughs> proud I'm a robot. No, I mean, you're supposed to feel emotions. You're supposed to, and you think, well, maybe it's not masculine or something to be emotional, but David was like a bad, he's a tough guy. And <laughs> you read the Psalms and he is very emotional. And I would take that up a notch with Jesus. He, he was really emotional. You see him having like what looks like temper tantrums. Uh, he weeps, he heartbreaks over, um, but it wasn't a temper tantrum, he was in control. Um, <laughs> but he weeps over Jerusalem, over the lost. He's a very passionate, emotional person. And when you're emotional, there's an aspect of the image of God that is coming out. But the difference, this is where it gets interesting, I think, is Jesus was in perfect control. He was never mastered by his emotions. Like the master emotional sailor, like he was able to be guided, not guided by his emotions. He was guided by God's will, but moved by his emotions. For us, we feel every emotion, but it, it like, because sin has touched every part of us, our desires, what, what we love, the way we think, and the way we feel, and the way we emote, and the way we choose, every part of us has been touched by sin. I think that's what total depravity means. And because of that, our emotions are messed up. I mean, they, they get unhealthy and they move us in really unhealthy ways. So anger comes and bosses us around. You know, I, I know better than to say this, but you know, and it comes out. <laughs> Proverbs 16, 32, I had to memorize that because of my own like tendency. Uh, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules the spirit than he who t can take a city, which is just an awesome verse. Like, if you can control your anger, you're tougher than a guy who can overthrow a city. That's, a, that, that's saying a lot. Like, it's not easy to control one emotion like anger. Uh, discouragement can come and paralyze you when you should get back in the game. How many of you have ever felt like your emotions have override, you know, overrode your, your will? Okay, three honest people. I can't really see you. Um, so emotions come and there's something unhealthy. So I want to ask this question. What's the difference between a healthy emotion and an unhealthy emotion? I mean, is happiness a healthy emotion? If I'm happy... That's great, but if I'm happy because I'm flirting with someone who's not my wife, that's not a healthy emotion, right? And if my wife is watching this, <laughs> jealousy might feel like an unhealthy emotion, but in this case, that would be very healthy. If she didn't feel jealousy, there'd be something unhealthy about that. The problem isn't the emotion, it's the love it's attached to. I've heard someone say, pleasure is the measure of your treasure. So sermon-like. Um, <laughs> but that... So here's the answer to that question. The difference is it depends on what the emotion is coming from and how it's moving you or where it's moving you to. And for example, you know, 
yeah, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm loving the wrong thing, if it, and if I'm loving my, myself more than I'm loving someone else, or if I'm loving my comfort more than God's glory, the, the emotion's gonna be unhealthy. And that takes some wisdom to, to, to look at. But the other part of it is, you can be angry for the right reason, but then the way your anger moves you is destructive. How it moves you is something, two things we need to look at. So getting done with this emotions 101 thing, uh, how are we supposed to handle this? It's powerful, it's a gift, emotions are huge. Well, let me first say how we're not supposed to handle our emotions, two things. And we all do one of these two things, it's tendency. We are all, either more prone to suppress our emotions or to embrace them. Like suppressing your emotions being, that's too strong of a feeling, I don't wanna feel it, so you numb it. You numb it with distractions, maybe you numb it uh, busyness, games, food, substance, sex, whatever. You, Anything that just kind of mutes that emotion so you don't have to feel, and you usually want to mute the painful emotions. So you just suppress them and instead of actually feeling it. But here's what the problem with suppressing our emotions. You've, yeah, you might feel like you have control, even willpower, you know, just pushing down an emotion. You're dehumanizing yourself. If you, keep, if you live that way, you eventually will be unable to feel. And like in a counseling context, we see people who come in with a form of depression that is like, I don't feel anything emotionally. And that's, that's something that has to be, you know, move, you have to, that, that takes help to, to move out of. Another side of it though, is embracing emotions as if they're authoritative, like just blindly following something. And if I feel this, then it must be true. If I'm jealous, then I must be jealous for a good reason. Or if I'm angry, I'm gonna be a jerk. And just blindly taking your cues from these authoritative emotions. And what happens is you will always lose control. It'll hijack you. That, um, more on that, but there's something on, I say someone gets emotionally drunk when they do that. You know, the anger just bounces back and forth to the fear and pretty soon you have an irrational fear. How are we supposed to handle them? We don't suppress it, we don't embrace it. Instead, we engage them. Learn to engage our emotions. God doesn't call us to avoid it, uh, the feeling, or to just embrace them. We're called to engage it. So this is where I'm gonna get into the scriptures. How do you engage your emotions? Well, number one, I told you there was a lot of slides. Anybody trying to write all this? All right, sorry. Identify, you first, you need to identify what you're feeling. Just simply naming it. This doesn't seem like it's a big thing, but the truth is, this is really powerful. When you stop and just, what am I feeling? Emotions seem to run in the background and just, they feel like mysterious forces that just move us and we don't recognize what it is. And when that happens, we're taking our cues from something that we don't even know what we're listening to. But when you stop and name it, um, you recognize something. When you try to name what you're feeling, if it, especially if it's powerful, you quickly bump into the fact that emotions are complex. They don't wait in single file line like, I'm angry. Nope, I'm fearful. It's, one, it's almost like they kind of come in combinations. When you go to get paint at Home Depot, you, you pick out one of these many colors, and you get this white bucket and you they put it in. Anybody done this? And then the three colors go in, blue, yellow, and red, I guess, in a certain mix, because you handed them a thing that said, I want jade mist, or, you know. 
I want tickled pink, please, you know, and then it, just the right le- you know, amount comes in, and you, and okay, so yeah, there was some red in that, and there's some yellow, but you put that together, and it might feel like, oh, I don't know how to name this, because it's not one thing, but just the fact that you're stopping to name it, you're claiming yourself away from being hijacked or getting drunk emotionally. I've got a little diagram. I guess I'm still in the education portion of this. But when, when, the way your brain works is when, you, uh, when you're making rational decisions, you're thinking with your prefrontal cortex. You, you're thinking up here, but when you have an emotional response, it's in your limbic system. It happens in the amygdala, and it's like the size of an almond. Your amygdala, and by the way, if you touch a hot stove, the signal goes to your brainstem and goes right back. It doesn't even make it all the way. It, so the more complex you have to think, the, the farther it has to go in your brain. Well, when you get emotionally drunk, it's going to your limbic system, to your amygdala, and you're not even able, your, your amygdala isn't even able to add two plus two. It's just, you're simply feeling and you're responding to the feeling. So you, um, you know, you see a snake and you're a snake, you're freaking out. It doesn't matter there's two inches of glass between you and the snake and you're at the zoo. You've, you have an automatic response to that because your limbic system has taken over. But when you stop and you name, what am I feeling? The effort to name it is moving your thinking out of your limbic system into your prefrontal cortex. And you've taken a step out of drunkenness emotionally to think, all right? Now, Thinking isn't the answer, but that's the start of it. Because after you name it, whether you successfully name it or not, I'm not terribly concerned. It's just getting started. So the next thing you do after naming it, you examine your emotion and you ask yourself a tougher question. Why am I feeling this? So why am I nervous? Maybe you think about it. I'm afraid my team at work is going to recognize that I'm totally incompetent. You know, or I feel like there's a breakup coming. Okay, you're, you're naming nervousness and a fear and, and you, you, you're naming why. You feel shame. Why, why? Because I, I did something really stupid last weekend and I feel worthless or uh, I feel anger. Uh, why? Because my roommate ate most of my cereal, okay? Now, that's a surfacey answer. But if you wanna get this, why does that make you angry? Are you angry because you have to go to the store now and you didn't plan on going to the store? Maybe. But maybe you're angry because there's a chronic pattern of inconsideration in your roommate. Or maybe you're mad at yourself because you lack the courage to go and confront your roommate. That, I've done this before where I was like, I'm not mad about that. I'm really kind of mad at my impotence in this situation. And, it, and you're exposing it, but like my anger is directed at some small insignificant thing when the bigger issue that I need to explore is why, why do I feel the lack of ability just to go and have this conversation? And so you're thinking it out because your emotion is meant to move you somewhere. You're not supposed to just like let the, your cereal get eaten. I mean, heaven forbid. Um, okay, third, evaluate your emotion. Is this a godly good emotion? For, am I feeling this way for the right reason or is it selfish and destructive? <clears throat> it's okay to be upset about something that makes God upset. It's okay to be happy about something that makes him happy. But when you find yourself ignoring what pleases God and just acting in ways that anger happens, when you stop and evaluate it, you start to get convicted. 
And that often happens with strong emotions. When you start to understand it, you're going to start to get convicted. And that's why this fourth point is crucial. Then engage God with your emotion. Everybody skips this, honestly. I mean, this is just, I say everybody, like as a default, we just don't think to do this. If we're really angry, we might go vent to somebody else, but God's too holy and pure to hear me vent to him about my anger. We, 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 usually the really powerful emotions, instead of bringing us to God, we usually isolate. And here's the thing, God gave us these emotions to connect us relationally. And he wants, to be, he wants us to be relationally connected to him. Um, this is amazing to me. I mean, our strongest emotions, instead of connecting us to God, usually isolate us. And you miss the opportunity to connect with God because it doesn't seem like it's a holy emotion. It feels like a toxic emotion. But it's an emotion. So we need to first engage God. And why can we do it? Here's a verse that if you walk away with one verse, it's this one. Psalm 62, verse 8. Trust in him, in God, at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. And I want to insert the word because. Because God is a refuge for us. We're called to trust in him. What does that look like? Pouring out your heart to him. The reason we can do that is because he's our refuge. He's safe. There's a safety in coming to God which is really crazy if you think about it because he's not a safe God. He's a consuming fire. He's a holy God. He's, I mean, there's a, if you see sin and now you're bringing your sin to a God and venting to him or pouring out your heart to him and you're not yet feeling holy about it, there's something that says, no, I'm not going there. But he says, no, trust in me. I can pour out your heart to me. And here's why. Take for an example, if you're grieving, if you say you've lo you, you lost a close family, or maybe your father recently, okay? And if you actually did, I'm sorry if this hits too close to home. I, but if you lost your father and you're grieving over this, it's so much more comforting to talk to somebody else who's also lost their father. They get it, right? We can take our emotions to God because he gets it. He knows our pain thousandfold. He knows fear. I mean, you look at Jesus in the garden. He was experiencing the most legitimate fear one could ever conjure up. He knows shame. He was stripped naked. Brute, I mean, he knows, you name the emotion. He gets it. And he's saying, come to me, pour out your heart to me. I'm your refuge. And he wants to connect with us emotionally. And what happens when we do that? Um, what, what does that look like? It's all over the Psalms. I just picked three, honestly, um, random ones. I don't know if it's my next slide. Well, here, what's the next slide? I forgot. Engage God, engaging God means expressing, I would say, your unfiltered feelings to God, no matter how toxic they seem. And you see this over and over in the Psalms. So I threw up three examples, one at a time. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Okay, that's what Jesus said on the cross, but it was originally said by David. And you read this, David is experiencing abandonment and isolation, and he is not filtering his words, right? Uh, next example. Oh Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. All right, that's how it starts. Psalm 88 says, darkness is my only friend. It is, this guy is depressed. 
And here's the thing. People, some people, like, people who aren't depressed, they read that and like, how is that helpful? And it's like, darkness is my only friend. If a depressed person reads this psalm, like, wow, that's strangely comforting. The difference is they're saying, oh, Lord God. It starts that way. Usually a depressed person in their hopelessness doesn't start by saying God. They just, darkness is my only friend. It's still the raw, unfiltered emotion. One more. This is provocative, but last verse of Psalm 137. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. I mean, you, that verse has caused many people to say, I don't know if I believe this stuff. Okay, is this verse endorsing violence? I don't think so. I think it's an expression of outrage. And when you know the context, there's good reason. These guys have been exiled, and these are the same people who've probably seen their wives raped and their kids die of starvation. And now they're being told to, hey, build this stuff. While you're taking a break, why don't you sing us one of the songs from your homeland? Would you be feeling outrage? And this guy's not filtering his words. He's just saying, instead of actually going and do it, doing this, he's just saying, you know, in a sense, screw them. You know, like, and, and his, but he's saying it to God. And what I love is unfiltered. It, this is, the, the emotions get ugly. So expressing, engaging God means expressing your unfiltered, raw of feelings to God, no matter how, how toxic they may seem. So I, I'm just gonna, give you a, a, one biblical example and a personal one, and I'll be done. How much time have I taken? Like, okay, I got another 30 minutes, good. Just kidding. Okay, Psalm 13. David says, verse one, how long, O Lord, will, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Right out of the gate, David is saying something, he's expressing what he feels, not what he thinks. And I, I picked this because that's not true. David has better theology than this. He knows that God doesn't forget. And yet he's saying, how long will you forget me? So David is expressing what he feels, even if it's not theologically accurate. That's how he starts. It goes on verse three. Consider and answer me, O God, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. He he remembers as he's expressing, he's venting, he's, he remembers, yeah, God, I can call out to you. He, he, he turns to petition. He's asking for help. And then by verses five and six, he says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. By the time he's done, in the span of six verses, he's gone from feeling like God has forgotten him to saying, I remember your steadfast love and I will trust you. I will sing, in you, sing for, uh, with you one day. Um, or sing to the Lord one day. That's often what happens when I apply this. I start off venting, hurting, angry. And as I vent, I connect to him. And then he reminds me of truth and he starts to lead me out. And so... Here's just a, some examples. Don't try to write all this down because like I said, I'll email it to you. But these are just a sampling of some of the emotions that are covered and so much more. So let me, let me give you a, a personal example. Because by the way, after you've engaged God like this, you're ready to engage others. So let me close with a personal one. <clears throat> 
I got into, <laughs> this, this start is often the way I'll close these sermons because I got into an argument with Brandy. Um, people closest to you provoke the strongest emotions, right? Brandy and I were going through a season where we were at, we were kind of just at each other. Resentment, bitterness was, was building between us. And I, I was getting so angry because she just, uh, I felt like she was throwing me under the bus, all right? So I go to Starbucks early, trying to pray, too angry to pray. And I thought to myself, well, what would I tell someone if they came to me at Soul Care? I'd say, well, write a psalm. <laughs> so try practicing what you preach, Ryan. So I thought, I'm going to write my own psalm. I went to Psalm 1, and I knew Psalm 1 doesn't work for this. Psalm 2, that doesn't work. I looked at Psalm 3, and it's an impeccatory psalm, meaning it's a psalm of anger. And I, so I copied it onto my one-note thing, and I looked at it, and it starts off saying, O oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him in God. It's like, that's not exactly what I'm feeling, but it's pretty close. So I wrote, Lord, how many attacks am I supposed to endure? Side note, my wife's awesome. Every marriage goes through this stuff. Okay. Lord, how many attacks am I supposed to endure? What's supposed to be a source of comfort has become a desert battle, battleground. So I felt like instead of being comforted by my wife, we're just fighting. I went on and invented a little more. I'm not going to read all of it. And then I said, have I made my bed, Lord? Are you making me sleep in it? How long must this go on? And look over at the psalm again. Verse three says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. And I, like, he turns his hope to, to God. And by the time I vented, I felt I finally can say this. And so I said, you're my only hope, Lord. Nothing that is happening to me hasn't happened to you a thousandfold. You've been misrepresented, accused, attacked, taunted, betrayed. And I was feeling those things. Uh, so was Brandy, by the way. I said, I'm a sinner. Brandy's been hurt by me, by my words, my actions, my attitudes, more than anything, my failure to love her well. And I've betrayed you, Lord. But do you see what just happened? I couldn't pray because I was so focused on Brandy's sin. And I came and I expressed and I vented. And he listened. But then he reminded me, you can trust, you can hope in me. And then he graciously let me see my sin. And I started to feel more bugged by my sin than by Brandy's sin. And I genuinely felt that. And what's next? I'm confessing. I'm now just, string, I'm writing out a string of confessions to God, knowing he's listening and forgiving. And the psalm goes on to express hope in God. And eventually I'm saying, God, thank you for your forgiveness. Would you help me to trust in you? Would you help me to go home and actually listen to Brandy this time and not defend myself and actually listen to what you have to say to me through my wife? What do you think happened when I went home? Yes, there were some things I was still angry about, but I was able to be slow to anger and listen and we moved toward oneness again. God wants us to take our toxic emotions Express it to him so that he can heal us and then we can have that same emotion move us in a productive way. And we can do this knowing that we're safe with God. We're not safe to start with other people because they're sinners. But when we start with God, we know we're safe. And the reason is we might deserve a backhand for feeling that way, but who got the backhand? Jesus. We deserve judgment. I mean, it's amazing. God offers his shoulder and says, cry on my shoulder to the very people who've killed his son. Can you imagine that? Would you want to hear someone who 
killed your son to, to, to then vent about how sad they are? No, we have a God who's that big, who says, bring it to me. I love you. And yes, there might be an appropriate response to this, but I'm gonna give it to my son. I'm gonna give you righteousness and hope and joy and love and peace. And that's how good God is. I wanna encourage you. I, I will be the first to say this is not easy to apply. But if you do, I think you will see growth in the intimacy in your relationship with God that you've never experienced before because he wants to meet you where you feel most raw and he will heal you from there. Let me pray. Father, um, it is overwhelming to me that you are a God who means it when he says, bring your sorrows, um, uh, come to me, you know, all you who are weary. Uh, they, you, there's nothing that you don't want to hear from us. You, you want us to bring our emotions, our baggage, our hurts, even our sins. You want us to bring those to you. And I thank you that you're that good. And I just pray that you would give us the faith and the hope and the belief to actually take a step of faith and do it. I pray that all of us, honestly, experience connecting with you as we turn to you in our emotions and from there, would you heal us? And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Our emotions are meant to connect us, even the problematic ones, but too often, because we don't know what to do with them or where to go, they end up isolating us. Don't settle for that. If you walk away with one challenge, I hope it's this, that you would bring your emotions before God. That according to Psalm 62, you could pour out your heart to him because he's our refuge. And God is our refuge. That means he's trustworthy. He's not only able to handle our raw emotions, he actually finds joy when we pour them out to him, no matter how toxic they may feel. What a good God. If you're in Texas near Fort Worth, we'd love to meet you in person. Renovate is on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and we serve free dinner starting at 6.45. For more updates from Renovate, just join us online at renovateftw.org or follow us on social media at renovateftw. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.